One. 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 The local churches will play a role in becoming community hubs where barriers can be broken down. This poetry has the capacity to deepen and enrich our spiritual life. Those who witness what we are doing identify the hand of God in our lives. One voice, because we're all the same. The warmest of warm wishes to you and yours. Thank you ever so much for taking some time to listen to the podcast that always seeks to recount stories. Stories that can take us to all sorts of places with their emotional connections. This time, speaking to one voice will be Father Oliver Coss, Rector of All Saints Northampton and Rural Dean of Greater Northampton. He brings to life a history that weaves in Charles II, John Clare, the poet, and the present town centre. Such a likeable, knowledgeable and very driven person, Father Oliver Coss, in only a short time. We're also due to hear from Catherine Jones on the benefits and workings of Girls' Brigade. Plus, there's a global trip that should, should tell you some things about how Christmas is celebrated in a number of countries. All being well, it'll be stuff that you didn't already know, unless, of course, you've been to those countries or have lived in one of them, in which case, you're not playing fair. The One Voice Podcast. And so first, I'm very glad to say that we've got some time for the insight, experience and faith of someone with a great faith, not only in his church, of course, but in Northampton. And I also should point out that this was recorded before the very sudden and extremely sad death of Mike Ingram. This is One Voice. You are someone, Oliver, with a, I would say, an outlandish sense of Christmas jumpers. Talk to me about <laughs> about Ding Dong. Every year, I, uh, my family and I go and visit my, my old training incumbent, so the, the, the person I first worked with when I was ordained. And um, back in the day, he, he was working in, uh, in the old parish that I worked in in East Yorkshire, and the, and the village covered itself with Christmas lights every year. Um, and so every year afterwards, and especially when we had children, they invited us back, um, usually sometime around November or December, to come see the lights and see them and everything. And um, so this year they've, they've retired now. So this year we actually went to Blackpool to go and see them where they've retired to. I actually went into, into a, a shop for some socks because I, I was starting to run dry. And I saw this jumper hanging up that had ding dong written on it. I thought, <laughs> that's just the job, you know. And I... I I always remember something Bill Bryson said when he was tempted to buy a Russian hat when he was touring Scandinavia. And he said sometimes he really just enjoyed being a figure of mirth, um, you know, <laughs> almost relish people laughing at him. Um, and I thought, you know, well, this, this, this will do the trick, really. So, um, so I bought it. And then uh, a couple of weeks later, I saw the, the Believe jumpers that, that oh, yes. um, lots and lots of C of E clergy were, were, were buying, and particularly mm. my female colleagues. And um, and I thought, you know, this is just this is wonderfully timely. It'll be a wonderful foil. So I'll stick mm. this on. I, I wore it yesterday for our chapter party. Um, sorry, our, our chapter business meeting. Mm, and um, <laughs> yeah. and um, and yeah, it seems to sort of go down quite well. Really. 
I was outstaged by a guy who had a, had Christmas trees all over his jumper. Um, but that's that's just life. Isn't it? Yeah. Well, the, and, and the the social media expose of said jumper that has ding dong on the front. People have inevitably um, uh, drawn the um, the Leslie Phillips connotations, haven't they? It's but- gone in a variety of ways. And the, I mean, Leslie Phillips. Somebody sort of was quoting the Wizard of Oz, I think, and um, ding dong, the witch oh, is yes, dead. I mean, that sounds. Very Christmassy, mm. and, and then one or two, one or two people remember the Christmas Carol. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I did wonder if on the reverse, as you turn around, Oliver, it might have read "Merrily on High" on it, but that's probably <laughs> that's probably me being far too sensible and, and sort of uh, conservative, as it were. It's a brave interviewer that tries to get from uh, a Christmas jumper emblazoned with "Ding Dong" to the Norman heritage of the All Saints building, but I'll, I will give it a go. I'll give it a try. We obviously know that that is the time, the Norman period, um, that there was a church on the site and after the great fire of Northampton it's, it's such a long and rich history and of course I assume that that in some forms it manifests itself in you in terms of when you walk into the church and when you lead a service how, how does that sort of that weight as it were feel on your shoulders it's very it is a very interesting question and and I wondered whether you were going to talk about the church bells there for a minute but uh, um <laughs> the the um I, I think it's fascinating because I think uh, England as, as a nation, is full of these wonderful, outstanding historic places of worship, where you can't help but be be aware that you're standing on the shoulders of those who have gone before you. And the the wonderful thing about Austin is, is is that you don't quite know when it all started. So we've got the extant remains of the Norman Church um, in in the tower. We know that there is uh, at least an allusion to an earlier Saxon church and just little hints and, and uh, almost granules of history that you can point back to. So, so it's wonderful that you can't quite say when it begins. But I think the wonderful thing about it, because of the place it's occupied in the town and because of the place the town has occupied in England, that it really has been the centre of things over lots of generations. And whether that's, you know, looking at the the trinity of churches that the Norman earls built in in All Saints, in Holy Sepulchre, and St. Peter's, and their intentions there was were to really... I always look at Holy Sepulchre, and, and you've got to remind yourself that the, the Norman earl who built Holy Sepulchre did so because he wanted to replicate the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. Um, and so here is a little bit of, to quote William Blake, a little bit of uh, Jerusalem builded here in England's green and pleasant lands. And, and I think that's exactly the kind of, you know, the inspiring intention that I think you look back on. But All Saints' history has been so diverse that in, in almost sort of every stage of it, there's been something substantial going on. And I think the one that really um, fires and inspires me is, is really the Reformation and Restoration period, which is um, not really my most natural um, uh, point to go to, because they were people whose theological assumptions and, and discipline were, were almost the polar opposite of mine. They were great Presbyterians and Protestants, great almost Puritans, and they were responsible for the, the 17th century reforms in, in the English liturgy. They were um, taking a part in, in actually writing the liturgy that the Church of England still has now. And so it's wonderful to think of that history as having unfolded, at least in part, under 
uh, the walls that are still there. It's it is just phenomenal. It almost gives you this sense of having one eye on a. I don't want to sound too grandiose about it, Oliver, because I'm sure you don't see it this way. But but a legacy that you know something. Well, look, this is my time, and although you're conscious of today, tomorrow, etc., and the future, that th- there is something about the work that you do that you know inevitably leaves a, an indelible mark. Yeah, I think so. And and Anglicans have always had a strong theology of of place and of sacred space. And the idea that, you know, when when we go somewhere and we worship in it and we baptise bricks and mortar in in the prayer and the worship of of a a real life um, church community, that that it does leave something behind, that 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 sort of um, that overwhelming presence of the Holy Spirit does linger. It doesn't just sort of, you know, vanish and go away because, uh, that's what we do. We, we as people, whether it's simply the dust that falls from our skin, or or whether it's the mess we leave behind, you know, it, it, we we leave evidence of our of our being there um, to come. And I think the um, there was a famous hymn writer who who used the phrase, "These stones that have echoed their praises are holy and dearest the ground where their feet have once trod." Um, and I think it is a little bit like that. That I think when we are on life's pilgrimage toward toward the Father's kingdom, we we are very aware of of those who have trodden before us and you know on on whose shoulders we stand um but we're very aware of of the things that they've gifted us um that that we can use for for god's mission in god's world um right now and 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 all saints is a uh something that stands very tall among among northampton and has that sort of triple vocation to be a a place of worship a place of heritage and a place of tourism um, and a place of hospitality if you wanted to add a fourth it is a real asset and and, and, a, and something that we've been gifted by those who have gone before us. It, it is. It's, it's a, a stunning, a beautiful building. Charles II, of course, we've, we've to thank, haven't we? Wasn't it a, a thousand timbers or planks of wood that helped in the, in the yeah. rebuild, of course? Yeah, a thousand tonnes of timber and seven years chimney, chimney money back. So he, mm. he, but yeah, he chopped down some trees in his forest and he gave us our taxes back, um, <laughs> which is... <laughs> And I mean, that in itself is a fantastic story. And Mm. and I, you know, I think that the, I mean, Charles had to be talked into it. Um, He was, um, he had punished Northampton after the restoration. Mm. um, And one of the reasons that the fire in 1675 had been so severe was was because he punished the town and and, and parts of it were were really in a, you know, desultory and dangerous state. And and I, I think the, the, the parallels with, with, with now have been drawn that actually with, with so much in the town centre that is looking and feeling decrepit and a, a real deficit in, in civic pride and how people feel about the town centre um, that, that is not easy to conquer. Well, one of the things that sorted it in the 17th century was, was, was burning the whole place down and, and, and the devastation that that caused. There is a sort of a, a spirituality, a, a sort of a theology of desolation and devastation that you can't make those gentle evolutions as you would in normal mm. times. You can't just sort of gradually move on and renew and you have to start again. And, and I think I remember talking to some people at St Anne's Church in Manchester, not very long after the recovery from the IRA bombing that, that severely impacted St Anne's Square and, and the area around. And they they looked back with a certain sort of, I suppose sanguinity really that that it had been a moment where they really renewed the area and made it a, a part of the city that they could really be proud of and a lot of that would never have happened had they not faced the devastation and the trauma of of the bombing you know sometimes things happen for 
maybe you can't say that they happen for a reason. You can certainly say that it's been caused by certain things. But the outcome can be can be actually more positive than we realise sometimes when we when we're going through desolation. Mm. Did you feel that there was a almost an expectation of you that is effectively custodian of the the building that you know you instantly that the snap of your fingers became this beacon of knowledge about the history and did people try and and catch you out? <laughs> um, from time to time, and there's lots of stuff I don't know about. So you go and talk to a, you know a historian like Mike Ingram and mm. and, and we end up we end up partially schooling each other. Usually <laughs> more more Mike schooling me than than anything else. You know that, that's I mean priests come and go. And, and I'm, I've always been aware in, in entering a, a church for the first time as, as pastor that you are going to be worshipping with and leading worship for people who have been there for generations and for decades mm. and who may or may not know the building and its its purpose and its history better than you, but who certainly have, have a longer and deeper bond with it, even if that's that's clouded by unknowing, if you know what I mean. And there's another reality in which the, the congregation, the people who are using this church right now, they too will pass away. And we, we are only kind of here for a time and have the opportunity while custodianship is in our hands to, to, to do with it as, as, as we think right and proper and as we believe that God is leading us to. So, so that, that custodianship is it's sort of fleeting. You know, we know that there's a, a written history that goes back to 1227. Uh, with the, the priests and the people of the church, and that it has been different in every era, I think that can make that can paralyze churches sometimes because they're afraid of doing anything that is going to be controversial or that mm. that rips the heart out of somewhere. But I think it also does spur us onwards and say, well, well, you know, in the past people have reacted in lots of different ways to having custodianship of this place, and it's for us to to really make good use of the things we have and. Our patron, who um, who is um, the Royal Foundation of King St. Catherine, appoints us uh, clergy to all saints. Um, and they are they're a, a foundation that, again, is medieval. It goes back to a hospital founded in, uh, I think, the 13th century. They are, these days, relocated in modern accommodation in Limehouse in a complicated area of London where they run a retreat centre. But their, their foundation has the same status as Westminster Abbey, as the Royal, a royal Peculiar. And they encourage us a little while ago to think of ourselves as, as being a sort of a full five talents place, you know, lots and lots of ways in which we've got treasured gifts. And the biblical imperative is not to bury those talents, but to actually draw at least as much out of those five talents as, as we've been gifted with, um, so that it might might benefit the, the worshipping community mm. and produce growth. It might benefit the town among us, that it might be of, of material benefit to, to those who are in need. The Methodist Church in Northamptonshire. This is One Voice. Let's take a look, shall we, at what some other countries around the world do at Christmas. Christmas around the world. Kenya. Where possible, people try to be home for Christmas Eve. Houses and churches are often decorated with colourful balloons, ribbons, paper decorations, flowers and green leaves. The big Christmas meal is called Inyama Choma. Norway. The period of time stretching from Christmas Eve to New Year's Eve is made up of five phases, from Advent to Epiphany, and follows a Christian calendar that retains several pre-Reformation and pre-Christian elements. Christmas Eve is the main focus of celebrations, and that's when presents are exchanged. Brazil. Christmas here 
is known as Dia de Festas and draws heavily from Portuguese culture. Christmas Day begins with a visit to the church and then people dress in smart new clothes for the big evening party. Namibia. Often one of the hottest days of the year, Christmas can prove to be so hot that electric candles are used as the wax ones frequently melt. The Christmas meal itself can sometimes be a barbecue and German-style cookies often made from gingerbread or marzipan are popular to have with that meal. From the Methodist Church in Northampton, you're with the One Voice podcast. And back we go then to the rector of All Saints Church in Northampton, Father Oliver Koss. And, you know, we couldn't talk about the church, the All Saints Church, without mentioning the Northampton poet, John Clare, who often wrote whilst he was sat in the building. I think the wonderful thing about that, that portico is that it, it's um, <laughs> is that it is it is open. It's visible. It's a place where where people can sort of you know rest for a moment, and and those those sort of little little booths where you can come and sit down, where Claire's portrait in the National Portrait Gallery uh, depicts him sitting in there. It's been a waiting place and a, a place of sort of um, I suppose a place of encounter, a threshold to, to the, the main church building itself people have always been attracted to it and there's a wonderful record really going back to 1712 when the portico was was erected the the effort to try and manage what happens on that portico so for generations there was a fellow appointed by the church to um, make sure the urchins didn't sort of hang about and cause bother on there you know and even say we get you know a healthy mix of people pausing and socialising as well as being antisocial and difficult. Um, so, and I think John probably would have fitted into that slightly antisocial and difficult bracket. Um, I did, I think he was, you know, uh, um, known as being, being quite sort of difficult um, mm. uh, and under, underappreciated by Northamptonians until he, you know, returned in triumph and they suddenly realised that they had, had someone very special on their hands and, um, and suddenly took notice. So perhaps he was, a sanitary reminder to treasure what we have and to realise what we have as 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 gift and um, um, not to, not to be too judgmental about it. Yeah, there's, there's a, definitely a recurring theme there, isn't there, about you know not uh, frequently treasuring what we have and you know I just, I just hope the same isn't applied to your your festive jumper, Oliver. <laughs> well, the good the good thing about festive jumpers is they'll they'll go away after epiphany and uh, <laughs> they might and, and they'll be. Yeah, they might they might reappear though. You know, in twelve months' time, you know, who knows? They might be uh, sort of uh, uh, revisited, shall we Absolutely. say? Yeah. To come uh, considerably more up to date than John Clare, one thing that I know you believe very strongly in, you know, is is being a a champion and uh, an advocate for Northampton, particularly the the, the town centre. Is it difficult sometimes to navigate that space? Because you've said obviously it's easy to uh, to speak up for Northampton, and you do that so well. But occasionally, you must find yourself in a fairly invidious position. I think there there are lots of reasons to be very downcast about about Northampton, and I, and I think the palpable sense among people who have lived here all their lives of of being let down, and of seeing grand plans put forward and and enacted, and and all kinds of lengths gone to to try and make those happen that that just either either don't happen or involve a feeling that they've lost something because they've happened you know and it, it sort of seems to repeat itself over and over again and you can see it written in you know, football stadiums in 
bus stations, you can see it in, in the present discussions around the market square and, and everything else like that. And I think that the, the, the effect of that, uh, and certainly around areas like, like the Heritage Gateway and, and uh, indeed Greyfriars itself, has, has really been to stymie any kind of progress at all. What you end up with out, out of that, that sort of difficult conversation is lots of places where you just have a question mark hanging over them. There, there's no sort of, oh, they put that up and they shouldn't have done, or, or I wish this was better, but, but a real sort of absence, you know, a vacuum. And if you walk past the old Barclay card um, site, the Castle House site, or you walk past past Greyfriars, or that bit which was known for a bit as Rat Island and and things like that, or if you walk past the empty stores at on, on Abington Street or, or things like that, there's a real sort of sense of, 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 of abandonment and, and actually that nobody sort of cares enough to fill it with anything. And and if something about, about a vacuum, it can draw all kinds of things into it. But the most awful thing is where it stays a vacuum and, and it and it doesn't have either power to draw or power to, to change in, in nature. And, and I think that that's where we are with, with, with some of the sort of the biggest problems at the moment, that they, the, the stagnation in, in, in progress uh, and a real sort of a real dulling down and dumbing down of, of the dramatic plans that I think have been put forward for lots of parts of the town centre. Um, and and that's, that I think is very hard for people because those who are pioneering those plans very easily get fatigued with the the, the negative commentary mm. um and those who are offering the, the negative commentary don't don't really seem to be able to articulate a positive and hopeful future for lots of parts of the town mm. apart from the things that, that they mm. sort of have an interest in and so i think it's a very difficult conversation it's very granular a lot of it happens online and and i think probably we're at the point now where we possibly need a big conversation that's managed and mediated about about what happens there and Something that fascinated me recently was just to see how positive the reaction to the city status bid had been among lots of groups who, who typically were, were quite quite sort of critical or or, um, uh, or whatever about about some of the plans around uh, all kinds of, of elements of, of our civic life. And I think there's a real opening there to talk about what Northampton is, what it ought to become, um, and what sort of trajectory it can go on there. And and if there's if there's a, a chance for a shared conversation about that, then that would be really really valuable, because I think we could we could find something that we could hold together, and really gun for. And and, and Northampton needs that. It's a very mm-hmm. scattered and disparate set of communities that sometimes don't feel like they've got an awful lot to do with each other. And some shared objectives, not least about the heart of our town would be very powerful and I think be, be very attractive to people who are um, who are looking in on us. I, I think you're right. And, and that idea in itself, Oliver, of the, of the church leading the, those conversations uh, around rejuvenation, you know, maybe even to, to some degree instigating those conversations, does that in itself, do you think, create a church that, that people want to attend and, and they want to be part of? Is, is there some kind of, in the nicest possible sense, a, you know, a good, a positive payoff for the church? Um, I think so. I think the church has to do things like that without very much thought mm. of, of its own interests, because I think that pe- people notice when when they're <laughs> when when the things they're being invited to sort of you know might fall under our broad category of mission or evangelism, um, and I think it would have to do it do it very altruistically and and uh, and in order to do that. But I think what what churches do have a vocation for in in that space is to answer the question of where shall we come together 
and I think that arises from, from the reality that the sort of the public spaces we have can often be quite controversial, whether that's because we, we don't have a, you know, a, a public place or a banner under which we might come together, or that's because there are controversies around local government where people also ought to come together um, in order to get things done. I, th- I think one of the powerful things that the, the new authorities are, uh, are discovering is the power of themselves to bring people together to to talk to to, to run the town and to run uh, run the communities. But I think what churches can do is offer headspace in in a place that that isn't about the busyness of government or of or of business or things like that. But I think we can use our built assets as places where people can come and be open minded and. Um, and thoughtful about what is going on. The, the trouble arises when, when people associate churches with being closed-minded or, or not inspired or not, or not sort of um, not open to new ideas. Uh, so I think, I think we can't assume our role in that. But I think if people identify churches as places where those conversations can go on, I think that would be a great gift and, and a real opportunity for, um, for the Christian communities in the town and not just all saints, but, but almost certainly everyone. Father Cost, thank you ever so much for being on the One Voice podcast. Uh, very grateful. And, of course, have a, a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year as well. And to you, John, and to you, Anderson. Thanks, of course, go to Father Oliver Koss. And as a podcast, and personally, I would like to offer deepest condolences to the family of Mike Ingram, who was a freeman of Northampton, the guiding light, very much the guiding light of the Battlefield Society locally. An immensely knowledgeable and immeasurably likeable man, Mike. And of course, to his son and daughter, he was dad. It's time to turn to our final chat. And just before we do, let's recognise, because I think we should, the the work, organisation and commitment of everyone who helped to organise and support the service, activities and food at Kingsthorpe Baptist Church on Sunday the 12th of December. It was really well attended, so many smiling faces there, lots of prizes were won, fun had all around and laughs and there was also lots of great reading and singing by in particular the King's Kids, so thank you to all concerned uh, for that. Now to Girls Brigade and Catherine, who sets up their history in Kingsthorpe. Uh, well, our present company, the Fifth Northampton, it started in uh, 1916. So we're over 100 years old now because the church itself has moved, migrated to various other places. Now we're, of course, joined with the Baptist Church and meeting on their premises on a Tuesday evening. So it's it's got something of the sort of peripatetic about it, hasn't it? In the yeah, way we're a bit of a wandering company. <laughs> a wandering, yeah. That's <laughs> so you're you're part in it because you're obviously part of the leaders, the leadership team. I am the team leader, and that's kind of like the modern term for the word captain. But I don't sort of consider myself to be any more of a leader than any of the others. We're all very much a team, and we all have different skills to and talents to contribute. In fact, at one point in time, I think we, we totted up how many years of experience we've got between us. And I think it was over 200, and that was a few years ago. So you can imagine the experience that we bring to whatever we do. And it, it's that's good, I think, because it allows us to present to the girls a very wide variety of activities and a, pro- a very diverse program which appeals to them to all sorts of girls and their, their different interests and that because as I say we've all got different skills to bring. 
I'm very glad you said activities. What are the, the kind of typical activities that uh, the girls would do? You know, they come through the door at church and, and then what happens? Well, on a Tuesday evening when we meet, um, obviously Girls Brigade, I'm sure you're aware, do, do badge work. Um, and each section of the company has its own badge work uh, that we do. And um, a typical badge will take, I think, about five weeks maximum. Uh, and you have a choice when you, when you select what badge you're doing and how you're going to deliver it. And if you, you can, if you wish, take all the material from the book and just deliver that. Or as what we tend to do is we, we take the essence of what's in the book and we will alter it and adapt, add additional activities to make it more relevant to the girls that we've got at any one particular time. I know that um, with, with Scouts, which obviously isn't based here, the Scouts that my own son goes to, uh, now and again, the leaders may email and say, um, do the young people want to suggest anything for tonight? So, I mean, do you ever find yourself where, you know, you uh, scratching your head, think, well, we've, we've done that, we've done this, and we've done the other, and... Um, no, I don't think we do that in terms of badge work, although we may well ask the girls if there's anything that they liked about that badge work or what would they like to suggest, or we might give them the titles of a few badge books and say, you know, what, what do you fancy doing? But I think we, we more, more than likely would tend to ask them what, we would what they would like to do for what I would term wow factor events or extracurricular events that we do. So unfortunately, of course, within the last 18 months, we haven't been able to do a lot of that. But if, if you ask them what they would like to do, places they would like to go, that can sometimes help when we're planning these, these additional events. You might, we've just, for instance, been to the bowling, which was very successful with the older girls. And then the younger girls had a, a princess party here at the church, which they all really enjoyed. And as you rightly say, um, the, the meetings happen here in a, a church. And faith, of course, plays a, a, a central, a pivotal role in the Girls' Brigade. How, how would you distill that, Catherine? You know, what, what, uh, how exactly does it come into the life of the Girls' Brigade? The Girls' Brigade um, central office and the, the, the whole ethos of Girls' Brigade is to, is to seek, serve and follow Christ. And of course, all the leaders are Christian women. So I think there are several ways and, and means in which we can deliver that. I mean, by our own example, for a start off on a Tuesday evening, you're showing them how uh, the Christian ethos and, and how we care for one another and how we love one another and how Jesus wants us to, to love one another and to live our lives. And then, of course, through the, the badge work that we deliver, there's always something of what I would term the God spot, which you, you have every week, which gives the girls a little bit more of an insight into what's going on and what Christianity is all about. But it, it's just the whole thing. It's a very holistic approach, I always think, more so now than it was a few decades ago because you've got so many diverse girls a diversity of girls and you've also got so many other things that you're competing with in in terms of, of wanting to come to girls brigade so you've got to make it relevant but you've also got to bear in mind all the time that you need to be underpinning it with that christian message and christian ethos and of course, as a, you've sort of insinuated there, as an organisation, it welcomes uh, girls from all kinds of denominations. Yes. So you might have uh, Anglicans, Catholics, etc., etc. How would you say that that sort of shapes the the conversations and the and the direction of, of brigade? 
Um, well, I think it just adds to the diversity, really. You're quite right. We've, we do have girls. In the past, um, we've had girls who are Catholic. We've had girls who are Anglicans. We also have um, girls from, I think at the moment, we've got some girls from the Church of the Latter-day Saints, which is, is really quite interesting, finding out what they do in, in their kind of worship. And also, of course, you've got... Um, You've got girls who attend the more modern, charismatic kind of churches. And we were only saying that, a couple of my leaders and myself a little while ago, that we seem to have got quite a number of girls this year who are attending worship in a very wide spectrum of different venues, basically. I'm, I'm just going to say uh, some words, four words um, exactly, uh, th that are uh, very innovative and, and a little unusual. Investigate, encounter, engage and inspire. Now, so what do those very um, uh, astute and, and custom words mean? Well, the investigate is the, the name that we give to the group who are the very younger girls who are aged five to eight, although as a company we do take, uh, we take them at four, but not all companies do that, but we do. But the investigate are the uh, aged five to eight, or perhaps people who are listening to this podcast might be more familiar with the term explorers because that is what they were called. And it's like a journey for all of the girls and when girls are that young they they're kind of investigating and exploring everything so that's why it's called investigate then the next buzzword which is what, what you use which is engage that's for the um, eights to eleven year olds which again people might be f more familiar with the term juniors which is what they were previously called and that is the, the ethos of the badge work in that for those girls is to engage them get them engaged on beginning uh, their journey towards Christian faith. Then the encounter, which is the 11 to 14 year olds, or again, the more familiar word might be seniors to some people. That is for girls to encounter real life head-on issues that face girls as they're becoming teenagers uh, and how you look at it through a Christian perspective. And then the inspire, which is the older girls, which is the 14 plus going right through to 18. That's what people might be more familiar with the term brigaders. That's what they used to be called. In fact, many of us still call them all the, by these old names because we can't get out of the habit. But that is really encouraging girls to come to faith and begin their Christian journey. So it's, they're all sort of all the, all the four age groups are leading towards the same thing. But with the badge work and the way you deliver it is, is designed for that particular age group. We, we probably, Catherine, shouldn't have this conversation without uh, referencing at some point, i.e. now, Bakerloo. <laughs> Yeah, Bay <laughs> Bakerloo is our company mascot. Well, I was saying, because most people will probably, you know, if you say Bakerloo, they'll think of the tube line, right, probably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but Girls' Brigade has its own Bakerloo. We do have our own Bakerloo. We've had him for a great many years now, and he's well-loved by the girls and their leaders. And, in fact, he was named, I believe, after the Bakerloo underground line. Um, and I, if I can give you a bit of history, Rue Bakerloo, a few years ago, um, our brigaders went to London on a trip with some of the leaders, and that was, I think, the time that they were kipping on the ship on HMS Belfast. And um, one of my leaders had just bought a new car, and with her new car, she was presented with this teddy who was wearing a nice uh, blue fleece. Uh, and at that point, we, we had a company website, but we didn't put girls' photos on, and we wanted to record as best we could what the girls were doing, so we thought, well, we'll use this teddy. Sew a, a girls' brigade badge on his fleece, and then take pictures of him when, wherever we went to so that we could record where we'd been. Um, and because it, he happened to be used, I think, the first time the girls were up in London, that was the first occasion, they decided what they would call him, and they said, well, we're on the underground line, 
we're on the Bakerloo, now let's call him Bakerloo. So that's what we've called him. And if anybody who looks on our Facebook page will see that um, he has, he joins in with all the company celebrations. He has his own Christmas gear and we have a sleepover. He has his pyjamas and a sleeping bag as well. Is, is, is there any reference to, uh, to him in the, uh, the county records? Because I know that you've um, submitted. Y- yes, I think there is actually. There's some photographs of him, yeah. Excellent. He gets so, everywhere. <laughs> can you tell us about the, the county records? It's fascinating there. Well, obviously, the past um, 18 months has been very disruptive, not just for our company, but for all uh, companies. And we, are, we as a company were very, very fortunate that Kingsthorpe Baptist Church uh, did allow us to start back face-to-face meetings back in the autumn of 2020 and allowed us to continue every time opportunity was possible in between the lockdowns and when we couldn't do that we would do we were using whatsapp to communicate with the parents and we did a lot of zoom video conferencing on company night with as many girls as was wanted to join us and I think that was a, a quite a success because more girls joined us as time went on but over the whole of the period of the pandemic we accumulated a great deal of material in in form of photographs and documents and information and, and adapted badge work from Girls Brigade Central Office and I kind of thought to myself you know Yes, we'll put this into the company archive, but is there some way in which we can make this more meaningful? And that's when I thought, well, let's see if the county record office would like to have this material. And I contacted them and they were delighted to have it all uh, as to represent a perspective of a youth group during the pandemic. So that's all gone onto a USB stick and been delivered to them. And that will go into their their COVID reflection section. But the girls themselves um, did some work towards what was going into the collection they each and um, of them did a, a photographic display we took some photographs and put them all in a in um, frame and that of, of each of the girls and they took that home as a rem- as a memento of, of the pandemic and um, yeah it's all gone into the county records office but I think in addition to that a lot, some of the girls particularly the older ones wrote messages and for heaven help us if there is ever another pandemic and the company is lucky enough to be in existence messages for for the girls in the company at that particular time and I wrote a a message to a future team leader should the company be in existence during another pandemic which I hope will be of use to them because obviously when when the last pandemic was upon us the company had only just been formed and that was in the days before you you had a lot of, of information and you couldn't repeat it and you couldn't send it back down to make it for posterity so yeah I just thought well let's do this and see what we can come up with and I thought it was a real lasting legacy for the company. So maybe mo- mobile phones aren't such a bad thing in some <laughs> respects. <laughs> I won't get you onto that Catherine. No don't get me on that. No. <laughs> on a uh, serious note oh, and also we must mention the uh, display um, mm-hmm. that as people come into uh, the Kingsthorpe Baptist Church this is the, the, the Waitrose side as it were yes. um, uh, through that entrance. Do you want to just mention that? that yeah um, as part of the um, our legacy of our time in the pandemic um, we sent the information to the county records office and the girls had their own thing that they took home but we've also done a display of some of the work that that took place and we've put it on a display at Kingsthorpe Baptist Church in a quite a prominent position so that anyone coming in can actually see and we've entitled it Fifth Northampton Girls Brigade proactive through the pandemic I think one of the things that as leaders we were all very conscious of was the fact that not a lot of companies were, were given the opportunity to start back they we all had to close in March 2020 at, at the first lockdown 
and some of them literally have only just been able to start back in September 2021 and that's a whole year out and if you haven't got the wherewithal to contact your girls and keep in, keep the contact up and try and run the brigade in a different way then you you know it's, it's not a it's not ideal and we're always very conscious that we've been able to do this and we should note it in some way uh, we were saying before we started recording, you know, more and more is being asked of, of young people, even through primary school, uh, there are after school clubs, activities, more and more uh, homework tests to, to revise, you know, and to learn things for. So actually, as, as a girls brigade, presumably, it, it's, it's sometimes a challenge to, to uh, shall we say, engage, but also, you know, keep, keep that, uh, that level of enthusiasm and, and involvement going. Yeah, you're quite right, John. It is a challenge. And I think one of the things that is our greatest advantage is our leadership um, talent, block of talents that we've got between us and the amount of time that we've done this and our experience because it allows us to diversify in what we do, diversify the badge work, try and get relevant extra events, well factor events that the girls enjoy. And one of the things we we always do is is look back at what we've done and try to think okay did that work if we do it again do we need to change it what was successful about what we did what wasn't so that we we're continuously evolving because i think you've got to because the world is changing so quickly particularly over the last 18 months things are so different you have to keep moving forward in order to maintain that level of interest amongst your girls basically and i think we do that quite well uh, with the help of Bakerloo, obviously. Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> we, mu we mustn't uh, make him feel left out. Yeah, um, uh, let's let's conclude on a very positive note. So, Christmas plans, New Year plans for uh, Girls Brigade here in Kingsthorpe. Um, what are they going to be up to? Well, as we record this podcast this week, we've had uh, a couple of days ago. We we did our first like, like Christmas evening. In fact, we had three visitors that night. We had the Reverend David Spears joined us and we had our company chaplains, David and Sheila Howard. And the girls basically did a series of activities. We all sort of thought of an activity and it was kind of a bit like a Christmas round robin, if you've heard of those. They move around the groups and do different things. And um, I made Chris Dingles, one of my other leaders did Christmas bingo, another leader did craft. And then the Reverend David Spears was doing a spiritual activity with Christmas crackers. And we did um, a Christmas memory game and various things. And um, we concluded by getting together at the end of the evening, lighting the Chris Dingles, and um, the Reverend David Spears said a few words, and that was a very nice Christmas session. Then next week, we're hoping to do a bit more of a Christmas party in terms of games and that sort of thing. And that, then we start back again on the 4th of January, and we hope, if we can do so, that we will be able to go to Galoni's Ice Cream Parlour to start back. Well, it's a votive... Festive thanks to Father Oliver Koss and Catherine Jones for coming on to One Voice. And however you're spending this Christmas and New Year, I hope it's a peaceful, enjoyable and safe one. From the podcast, a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Stories, community and what brings us together. This is One Voice.